Amen. You could be seated this morning. We're going to go ahead and dismiss uh, our children for uh, Children's Church if they want to meet their um, teachers out in the foyer area and head to their classes. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us. Thank you, everyone else, for following. We don't really thank people for following, but we should. <laughs> I pray that uh, the goodness of God uh, will just resonate in your heart today. I don't know, I just feel like that uh, is a message God wanted us to hear and understand uh, a little bit more today. And so if you've got your Bibles and you're planning to stay in the room with us, um, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we are, if you wanna go ahead and turn there. Uh, for those of you that haven't been here over the last several weeks, um, this is actually the 20th part of a series through the book of Hebrews, and we've been studying each week a different passage from Hebrews, working our way through, and now we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, this is a letter, really, that was written to Hebrews, to uh, Israeli Christians, Jewish Christians, that had moved from Judaism to uh, salvation through Christ, and uh, because of the difficulty they began to experience, uh, they were tempted to turn away from that and go back to the old way. And uh, as we've talked about over the weeks, um, they faced at least the same types of things that we face, the same types of difficulties at least, maybe even to a greater degree, uh, because many of them were losing their lives and we aren't, uh, by and large, in our country at least. Around the world, people are losing their lives for the gospel, but not so much here. And this writer is trying to encourage them not to turn back, even though it looks difficult and it looks like it's not paying off. Um, he takes the entire book to show them that the way through Jesus to God is so far superior to the old way that you should, if you turn back, he basically says, if you turn back, you're missing it all. Because, and he, elaborate detail that he goes into, I don't have time to go into how he compares these two covenants. And a few weeks ago, we introduced you to the superheroes of our faith. Um, the people in Hebrews chapter 11 that we call superheroes or people of great faith. And the reason that they're included in this letter is not for us to celebrate them or idolize them, but for us to know what's possible. You and I should be living the same type of life that's revealed in Hebrews chapter 11. Okay? And that each week I've been wearing this shirt as a reminder to us that we are called not to, to be superheroes, but we are called sons and daughters of God. Um, Doug, you were the only one today that referred to me as a son of God and not Superman. And so I think I'm going to wear this shirt until all of us start catching on. And, and Israel, wherever, wherever he's at now, even caught on and wore the shirt, maybe you all should catch on and we should all wear the shirt. I don't know if they make D's for daughters of God, but uh, the sons and daughters of God because that's who we are. And today, uh, last week was faith revealed. And today is faith exposed. Faith revealed, faith exposed. And I'm gonna explain the difference between those two words in a, in a minute, but 
these are the four things that we pulled out of Hebrews chapter 10 that I reminded us of last week and I'm gonna remind us again this week because the people in Hebrews chapter 11, there are so many different personalities, there's so many different backgrounds, there's so many different upbringings, there's so many different circumstances and there's so many different responses and ways that their situations turned out. And the reason that we have all of these in Hebrews 11 is to remind us that God works through every person in every circumstance at all times. And that's the reminder, that's the encouragement. So even in difficulty, remind ourselves these things. And these are the four things we have to remember, especially in difficulty. Because remember, he encouraged us to have patient endurance. Remember, there are better things waiting that last forever. That literally means let go of the things of this world. Not just possessions, even our relationships. Relationships in this life will come and they will go. Friendships will come and they will go. We have to learn to live loosely to the things of this world. Too many people, their faith gets shipwrecked when they lose a loved one or they lose a friend or they, they lose a spouse, whether through divorce or through death, and they can't wrap their brain. Hold it tightly. Jesus taught us, hold possessions tightly, hold positions tightly, hold relation, loosely, excuse me, and hold relationships loosely here on this earth. Hold them loosely because they do not last forever. Keep your eyes on where we're going. That's forever. Remember our reward. Remember he is our rewarder. Our reward is not this life. It's what's coming. And have that refusal to quit because we know that he rewards us. Remember who we are. And we are sons and daughters of God with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So please tell me what problem we are facing today that that power is not adequate for. There isn't one. And so that's, we gotta remember that. And remember what pleases him. Remember what pleases him, faith. Faith in Christ. My performance doesn't change whether he is pleased with me or not because he's pleased with me because of the sacrifice of Christ and my faith in that. And that never changes. So that frees me to live. It frees me when I make a mistake to remember he's pleased with me, not because I did it perfectly, but because I cling to what Christ did for me. Amen, that's some good stuff. So remember, faith is what pleases God. And as we talked about last week, what is faith? Let me just define it quickly again. Faith is believing that God exists. Okay, it's believing that he exists, and it's believing that he rewards those who search for him thoroughly. Okay, that means in difficulty, in hardship, you're looking for him. You're not assuming that he's, aban he's abandoned you. No, you believe he exists, you believe he's always with us, and so when you're in a difficulty, you're not throwing up your hands saying, well, God's let me go, he's abandoned me. You're making a thorough search for where he is because you know he's present, you can't feel him, you can't see him, but he is there, and so you look for him. And you search for him. And you search for him through doubt. You search through him through fear. You search for him through insecurity. You search for him in every moment of life because you believe that he exists and you believe it's worth searching for him. 
Okay, when, when it says that he rewards those who search him, what that means is not God's doling out treats like we do for our doggies, okay? He's saying it's worth searching for. And when you search for him, he rewards you, or there is reward or profit in searching for him. So our actions should line up with this idea we believe he exists. It's not enough for you and I to say, I believe God exists, the demons do that, but there's no corresponding action in their lives. In other words, there's no lordship. There's no submission to. We wanna be able to say, I believe in God, but I don't wanna submit my life to his plan. I believe in God, but I don't wanna fight to maintain good relationships at peace with all men. I don't wanna respond correctly when my boss blows up at me. I wanna blow up back at him. But the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me so that when people blow up at me, I can respond with a soft answer that turns away wrath. That's the power of the gospel. It's not just the, the lame walking and the blind receiving their sight. It's overcoming the difficulties of my life. Even if it's just someone taking my parking place. Amen. Amen. That's some good preaching. The problem is when we get in these moments of difficulty, we feel like God's abandoned us or we feel like it's a, a result of my bad behavior. I did something wrong and so God's punishing me and I understand it. Uh, but that's not how it works under the cross. You understand? He has taken our penalty for us. And it reminded us in Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 that these great men and women of faith all died believing for what they were promised. They didn't even receive it, but they died believing it, expecting it. Some of them expected one outcome and didn't get it and they were killed, but they died expecting it. Oh, that the same could be said for us. And that's what we're gonna pick up with and talk through as we go through uh, the rest of this chapter. Last week, we looked at Abel and we looked at the sacrifice that Abel offered that pleased God and compared that with the sacrifice that Cain offered that didn't. We looked at Enoch and how he had close fellowship with God and he walked with God until God took him. We looked at Noah and the long-term obedience that's required to have faith in God. I mean, if, we, if Noah would have said, hey, I have faith that it's gonna rain, but he didn't ever start building the boat, he didn't have faith. His faith was shown by the fact that he built the boat inland where it had never rained. That's faith. And he did it for 120 years. How many of you have done something faithfully for 120 years and seen no results? Okay, none of us. So we can keep going because we've got what Noah had. Abraham and Sarah and their acts of faith in the long haul. And the best part of that is the mistakes. Remember Ishmael? Remember Sarah laughing in the tent? And yet Hebrews chapter 11 remembers them for not wavering. See, it's not whether or not I make a mistake or I have a momentary lapse or I, you know, I doubted this morning and now God. No, if you turn back from your doubt and you put faith in God again and you just don't relent or quit, God says you, it's like you've never wavered. That's the great thing of this, this idea, this salvation that we have. We turn from that mistake and God says, I forget it. Abraham never wavered in his faith. And we're like, uh, yeah, he did, God. And God's like, no, he did not because he didn't quit, because he just kept believing me, even when his body was as good as dead, and even when I told him to kill his own son. Abraham just did it. 
May that same faith be in us. And then Isaac and Jacob and the power of blessing others. Uh, if, you didn't mi- if you missed that sermon last week, pick it up and listen. Go to our podcast and listen. The power of blessing. Learning to bless your children, learning to bless others. I know we always talk about conflict resolution and pointing out others' mistakes and flaws, but oh, that we would be a people that would learn to bless and draw out life. Anybody can be critical and anyone can point out everyone else's flaws, but let me be a man or woman who can look beyond the flaws on the surface and see what God has put in that person and draw that thing out. And that's what they did when they pronounced blessing over people in the Old Testament, and that should be in our lives too. And then we came to Joseph. Um, Joseph in verse 22. So Hebrews chapter 11, this is where we left off, and I have a lot to do, and I'm hoping to get through the rest of the chapter and Lord help us. Joseph, verse 22, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Joseph throughout his life has so much faith Um, As we've talked about, even in Sunday school today, his life and uh, the refusal to give in to temptation with Potiphar's wife because he didn't want to sin against God. That's faith. When no one else is going to know to say, I'm not going to sin against God, that's faith. I mean, when we act in a way contrary to the word because no one else knows, that shows no faith. If God exists and he's there, I don't want to displease him. I don't want to dishonor him with my life. So Joseph has faith all throughout his life. But what he's commended for in Hebrews 11 is saying, we're leaving Egypt. Don't get settled here. This isn't God's promised land. Now, Egypt in this day was the good life. Joseph lived in a palace. Joseph was second in command in all of Egypt. He had everything that this known world had to offer. But Joseph says to them, don't settle here. The rest of the Israelites didn't have it as good. But he did. But he said God promised us a different land. And that's where we're going. And for us, we've been promised a promised land also. And as I've studied more and more, the older I get in my life, this concept of promised land in the New Testament, I don't believe the New, the New Testament promised land for you and I is heaven. I don't think it is. Because when they went into the promised land, they had to go in and, and throw out the enemies that were there. I think the promised land for us is living the victorious life God calls us to live. Living under the promises that he's had. Taking victory over the enemies that exist in our lives. Living in the realm of his kingdom here on earth. That's what I think the promised land is. Now heaven is coming, but we're not waiting for the promised land. We're going into our promised land now. Whatever he's asked us to do. And so Joseph for us is this reminder to throw out the enemies that are there. Every promise God has given us in his word, he wants us to cling to. Not just one time. We want to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep pressing in, keep persevering. Even when we do the right thing and the wrong thing comes back at us. That's okay. We consider that joy because God's using that moment to produce character in our lives. And so he's preparing us for what lies ahead. So Joseph is this call, this reminder to us to keep pressing into that land that God has prepared for us. Then we look in verse 23. 
It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. A lot of stuff here. Okay, Moses' parents were not afraid to hide their child. Now understand, if they would have been caught, they would have been executed. Okay, so maybe you think you and I would have enough uh, love for our children to put ourselves at risk in order to protect them. I mean, many people today do. They throw themselves in harm's way to save their child or protect their child from harm. You and I do it every once in a while. I mean, even when our children just throw up, we're there to try to catch it so that it doesn't get on them. Or I don't know why that's a reaction for some of us, but that's what we do. We try to protect them. But for some reason, they had faith to realize that this was an unusual child. How did they know it was unusual? Was he born with like a, a star on him? Was he born, you know, looking different than other babies? No, there was something in their spirit that laid hold of this promise that this is an unusual child. Again, it's that reminder to see with God's eyes. And because of that, they're not afraid to defy the king's command and not kill their child. They hid him. And you and I would look at that and we'd be like, man, that's faith. That's the kind of faith I want to have. But then, it's not told us here but then they put that child, that unusual child, in Pharaoh's household to be raised. Now, if you want to bring this into modern day terms to help us swallow it, that's like you and I saying, President Obama, could you please raise my child in the White House? Am I right? That's modern day. And trusting God. Some of us get so worked up that we got to isolate our children from everything in the world. No, we just got to teach and train our children to know the one true God. And it doesn't matter then what household they get raised in because uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were raised in Nebuchadnezzar's household and they didn't turn their back. We got to instill God's word in their hearts and not worry about you know, protecting them from everything that's out there. Teach them the truth and the genuine and the real and they won't go after the counterfeit. And so they had faith. They trusted that God could even be trusted to raise their child in that household. That's faith. And then Moses himself, verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to, the, to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. See, Moses refused, again, the best that this world had to offer. I mean, he grew up in Pharaoh's household. He didn't have to choose that life. He could have chose to stay right where he was. But he chose to dis completely disown everything for the sake of it. And what's funny is he says he did it for the sake of Christ. I mean, the, the author of Hebrews is taking a little bit of liberty here because Moses didn't even know Christ. I mean, the law hadn't even been given yet. 
I mean, there were some prophecies about a Messiah yet given, but not many. And yet the writer here compares it to him giving it up for the sake of Christ for our benefit. So that we can understand what Moses did, we can do also. We can choose to let go of the things of this world, the treasures of Egypt, if you will, and to keep obeying God, to put into practice. That blood over the doorpost is the blood of the cross that we put over our lives every single day. We put confidence in that and nothing else. And so see, for you and I, it's one thing to arm ourselves to be ready to suffer, but it's another thing to choose a life of suffering. You know, it's one thing when somebody does something to me or something happens to me, not of my own choosing, and I just have to prepare myself to handle it well, but it's another when I'm faced with a decision, and if I obey God, it's gonna cost me something to choose it. That's a whole story altogether. And that's what Moses did. Moses had two roads that he could have gone. This road was a good road. This road was blessing. It was ease. It was everything this world had to offer. This road was hardship. It was suffering. It was the king's anger. It might mean death, but he chose it. That's faith. And that's what the writer's trying to tell these people ready to give up, ready to turn back. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a decision that you've had to make life or death. I mean, maybe personal loss. Maybe you didn't want to lie at work and you were threatened with losing your job and you, you just maybe gave it up. What will we choose shows. That's one of those litmus tests of our faith. And how did Moses do it? He kept his eyes on what was invisible. He knew God was the rewarder. He knew there was a city he was going towards. There was something more in front of him. Okay, those are the four things that Moses did. That's what we keep coming back to. Then we got verse 29. The children of Israel, by faith, went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But then the Egyptians tried to follow and they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. In other words, the people of Israel, by faith, did what God said to do. It didn't make sense. It wasn't the best battle plan. It wasn't a great strategy militarily. They just did it. And sometimes in our lives, we wonder why there's no victory but we won't walk in obedience we wonder why there's no deliverance but we won't walk in obedience we won't love our wives as Christ loved the church we won't submit to our husbands as the Lord tells us to we won't honor one another above ourselves we won't release people from past wounds we won't stop slandering or gossiping but we wonder why there's no breakthrough why there's no deliverance why am I so miserable when all we do is sit and think about what we've lost and not what we have to gain we won't walk around the walls. The best part of this is they walked around the walls in silence. In silence. Six days, once in that day, they had to walk around. One day then, seventh day, seven times around that city without a peep. Think about this. You're pretty vulnerable. You're marching around the city of your enemy. How vulnerable does that make you when they're on top of that wall? And tempted to say, look, that one's got an arrow, watch. No, no sound, no sound. When I read that, 
the passage that came to mind was 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. This is a time when King Sennacherib of Assyria, this is one of my favorite passages, comes to the nation of Israel and King Hezekiah is the king. And he basically tells these people, I'm gonna make your life so miserable, I'm gonna shut off your food supply and your water supply and you're gonna be so miserable, you will eat your own dung and drink your own urine. It's in the Bible. See, some of you are missing out by not reading it. There's so much in there. And that's what he tells them. That's how miserable, I don't know if someone walked in here today and said, if you keep coming to this church and you keep worshiping here every Sunday, I'm gonna make your life so miserable, you're gonna be tempted at some point to eat your own dung and drink your own urine. Would we come back? I don't know. But look, look what it says. The people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, do not answer him. Now, you gotta understand, King Sennacherib at the time was feared because the nation of Assyria had taken over the entire known world. No one was able to stand against him. Their army was not ready to stand against him. And yet not one of them uttered a word. Sometimes it's best to just obey God in silence. That's faith. The temptation to defend ourselves, the temptation to murmur and complain, the tempt sometimes it's just best to be silent. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, it says, in returning to me and resting, you will be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. You know, and I, I, I know people say all the time, God isn't offended by our doubts and our questions, and, and he's not. If you wanna go to God like David did and you wanna cry out to him and say, God, I don't understand and it doesn't make sense, but please make sure that you end your prayer like David did. God, even though it doesn't make sense, my eyes are on you. Because he's moved by our faith, by our relentless pursuit of him, even in the middle of doubt, fear, and question. By men and women who just won't give up. And that's what the people of Israel did. No obedience, no deliverance. No obedience, no victory. Keep pressing in, and sometimes let's just do it with our mouths shut. It's a great lesson for us to learn. The next one, verse 31, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, I mean, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, I mean, that's a great phrase right there. I could preach, in fact, I feel like I could preach Hebrews 11 for like a whole series, but we're already on part 20. And so someday we might just come back and go through all of 11 again and just do each of these individually because there's just so much. She was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This prostitute ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, because for some reason, she recognized that she was wrong and her enemies were right. Now, here's what we, you and I can learn by faith. Recognize that there are times in our lives that maybe we're missing it. Maybe someone else who's trying to speak to us or talk to us, maybe they're not so off their rocker. Maybe the, our parents, young people, maybe our parents aren't as wrong as we think they are. They're not. I mean, they're wrong sometimes, trust me. I'm one, I know. But they're not as wrong as we think they are. 
Maybe our boss is not as wrong as we think. Maybe our pastor's not as wrong as we think. Maybe those in leadership and authority over us, maybe the president of the United States, maybe they know more than we know. Maybe God's speaking to them as a leader and he's just telling us to submit to them and he's not speaking to us in some way because he's just trying to see what's inside of us. He's trying to expose what's on the inside of us, faith or no faith. Don't put your faith in any human being, but put your faith in God who puts all all governing authorities over us, all of them. Either he does or he doesn't. Either the book is true or it's not. And if you and I can learn that even from our enemies, God can speak to us. Even from our critics, we can learn. You don't have to listen to everything your critics say, but if there's some truth that God can pull out of what your critics are saying to you, what people are saying about you, learn from it. Grow from it. Don't let it define you. Don't let it put you in a pit, but let it teach you and grow you and mature you and develop you because there's not one of us in this room whose character doesn't need to grow and be developed. And if the prostitute could recognize it, people who sit in church pews every week should too. Amen? By faith, we want to grow from our enemies. Verse 32. How much more do I need to say? I mean, you could say amen to that. What else could I tell you? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Just ordinary men and women. I mean, to us, we're like, man, those are great men and women of faith. To people who grew up with them, eh, just an average guy. All they did was just obey God and he turned their strength or their weakness into strength just because they didn't quit, just because they did what he asked even when it didn't make sense and when it was hard. I mean, Gideon had to send his entire army home and go after an army with 300 guys with no weapons. Are you sure about this? The stories are endless, but then we come to where we were supposed to be today the good, the bad, and the ugly. Starting in verse 33, everything is about to change. And you'll see as we go. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. They were sons and daughters of God. That's what they were. They were men of renown. They became strong in battle. Oh wait, I skipped the best part. Their weakness was turned into strength. See, you and I, we take so long to try to get our weaknesses and make them strengths, but in our weakness, he is strong. And if we would just admit it's a weakness, he'd display his strength in it. But too many of us are afraid to admit we're weak. Hey, this is a weak area in my life. And because of that pride, God can't turn it into a strength. And so we just keep being weak. But if we would just say, God, it's my weakness. Help me. Boom. He turns it into a strength. Now, don't, please don't think that I'm saying that to you because I've mastered that. <laughs> Haven't. But that's where I'm headed. Come with me. 
They became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. I mean, that's some powerful, impressive stuff there. And here's the thing. Faith is revealed in those moments. Those men and women who, you know, just persevered. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing shutting the mouths of lions was not an easy moment in life, but it took courage, it took perseverance, it took effort on their part. I mean, these things that they did, it, it revealed that they had faith. But now I want to talk about the people whose faith is exposed. Okay, I, I chose two different words for a reason, exposed and revealed. And both of them mean to make known or to see. But revealed, you got to think of it like this. Think of it, you're in the bathroom in the morning getting ready. Okay, you've woken up and you go into the bathroom and whatever you have to do in there, you have to shower, you have to put on makeup, you have to, whatever you do in there. And then you open the door and come out and you have revealed yourself to the world. That's great faith. I mean, those are the impressive moments of our lives. We're ready. Think of exposed as someone opening the door before you're ready. See, in our house now, we have, we have a dog, so we close all the doors. And you, if you're in our bathroom, lock the door. Because, I mean, sometimes we knock and we don't think anyone's in there and it's like, oops, awkward moment, sorry. So lock the door because you don't want to be exposed before you're ready. But here's the thing. So sometimes we're exposed, our faith is exposed in an, we're in an imperfect moment. I've made a mistake, I've failed. And we look at that person and we think, oh, they, they must not have good faith. A mistake does not reveal a lack of faith. What we do in response to our mistake reveals whether we have faith or not. So when faith is exposed, how do we respond? How do we respond in that moment when it doesn't go like I thought it would or when it looks like I got egg on my face? When I pray for someone to be resurrected from the dead and we bury them, what then? What will I do in that moment? I mean, some women receive their loved ones back from death again, but I did not. So they must have more faith than me. No. Because faith exists in both moments. Faith is revealed in our victories, exposed in our weakness. And both of them are, are men and women of great faith. Look what it says, verse 35, part B. Because part A was women received their loved ones back again from death, but others, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins and she of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. And here's the thing. I don't know why some people get their, dead, their, their, their loved ones who died back to life and some don't. I don't understand why some get to live in a palace and some have to wander in the desert and be destitute. But both have the same faith in the same God. And your faith is revealed in victory and exposed in weakness. But it's the same level of faith. And so live each moment in the expectation of verse 35a 
but be ready to face verse 35b. And don't be defined by it. Don't create a a theology around verse 35b. Don't let your experience say, well, this must be how it works because this is what I experienced. This isn't how it worked. The promise of the word is how it works. This is what we cling to. This is where we're going. And I'm going to die believing this is what's true. I would rather face Jesus on judgment day believing he's a better God than, I, than he is than to go there and realize he was a better God than I imagined. He is good. He's always good. And I know it's hard when we face disappointments and when we face difficulties. It's hard not to be angry. It's hard not to be cynical. It's, it's hard. But if these men and women could do it, you and I can do it. Because we're sons and we're daughters of God. But if we become too attached to the things of this world, too attached to relationships, too attached to positions, too attached to possessions, too attached to all of this stuff, if we don't place our hope in a better resurrection, if we don't keep our eyes on the one that rewards us, then it won't happen. And instead, you and I will become disappointed and cynical and will become jaded. And we'll turn our back on him. Don't turn your back on the confidence you had when you first believed. In fact, you and I should be more confident today than when we first believed. Our confidence, our hope, should continue to grow day after day after day. That's what the scripture teaches us. And these men and women put more faith in an unseen reality that God spoke about than what they were experiencing with their senses. And I promise you that you and I, when we get in eternity and we look back over the span of our time here on this earth, you and I will not be disappointed by what we lost. We will not be disappointed by the things we had to give up because we put our faith in something that was greater than this reality. Because on that side, everything gets restored and more. And so be willing to let go in this life because these men and women earned a reputation for that. And they were too good for this world. They were wandering in deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And they earned this good reputation in heaven, not on earth. Because we don't look at people out in the desert, wandering, oppressed, poor, barely rubbing two nickels together, Well, you know, that pastor over there must not be blessed because it must not be, you know, have enough faith because they don't have any money. And this pastor over here, he's driving a Rolls Royce, so he must have more faith. What a stupid definition of faith. That's not Hebrews 11 anywhere. I mean, both could have faith. You and I can't just look at the outward and see faith. Faith is determined by the character of our hearts that we keep trusting in God and we keep pursuing him. Yet none of these people received all that God had promised. Even those that got some of it, they didn't get all of it because God had something better in mind for us. I wish I could go into chapter 12 (laughs) so that they would not reach perfection without us. And then he encourages us in chapter 12 to run the race that God has set before us. See, you don't have to go looking for a lion to shut its mouth. Maybe your lion is just your barking boss. And the way to shut his mouth is not to give him a piece of your mind. It's to give the mind of Christ to yourself 
and let the soft answer turn away wrath. You don't have to defend yourself. God is our defender. You don't have to choose a life of destitution. Oh, I, I need to choose destitution. No, because you can be destitute and be worldly. In fact, a lot of people who don't have a lot economically are more worldly than people who have great wealth. Okay, it's not the position of our lives, it's the position of our hearts. And so you don't have to go looking to be oppressed, you just have to be faithful. And if oppression comes your way, you just maintain. You just keep walking in faithfulness to God. I do want to share one verse from Hebrews chapter 12, and then we're going to pray. Because I, I got to give this to you, because this is just, it's too good. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, endure hardship as discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay, we have to be trained by it. Therefore, Reg just got really excited. Therefore, <laughs> see if you were in Sunday school, you'd know. Therefore, okay, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Meaning there's something in you to strengthen your arms. Pastor, my arms are so tired, I can't lift them up. There's, so, there's a power in you to strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. And if you feel like you can't find it, the Bible says you call on someone else. Could you help me? My arms, are, I feel so weak. But we don't wanna be, admit we're weak. I don't wanna admit I can't lift my hands. It's a sign of a lack of faith. No, a lack of faith is not asking someone to help you. That's a lack of faith. A lack of faith is not going to a friend and saying, I'm just so tired. I feel like I should give up, but I don't want to. That's not a lack of faith. That's faith. Don't let the enemy come and say, oh, because you feel depressed or you feel tired or you feel worn down, you don't have faith. No, that's not a lack of faith at all. That just proves you're in a fight. It proves you're in a battle. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees because then you can make a level path for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. In other words, you find a path of healing and you get to lead others in a path of healing. Remember to loosen our grip on the things of this world. Remember our reward comes from him. Remember who we are. Remember. And remember what pleases him. Remember, it's not my performance that pleases him. It's my faith in the Son of God and my refusal to quit, to keep trusting him. I wanna invite you to stand as we get ready to close this morning. When, in just a moment, we're gonna close the service and I'm gonna pray a prayer of blessing over you. And in when I do, our prayer team is gonna come and we're gonna be here in the front and I wanna, we wanna pray with you because if you're here today and maybe your arms are feeble or your knees are weak or you're in that spot where you say, I'm just tired and I don't feel like I can strengthen myself today, we wanna pray and help strengthen you. 
we wanna be like Joshua and Caleb and we wanna lift your arms the same way they lift Moses' arms so that you can win this battle, so that you can walk in that same victory that they did. And so as we pray, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come and join me here in the front and I'm gonna pray a prayer dismissal and after we dismiss, um, if you need to be dismissed, you can do that. And if you wanna come, uh, you don't even have to wait for me to finish praying, you can come. Find a member of our prayer team, let us pray with you. And so Father, I thank you today, God, for the promises of your word that are sure. God, we know, we know that they're sure because when we were your enemies, you sent your son to die for us. God, you offered us your best even in that moment. And so God, I pray today that the words that we have studied together from Hebrews chapter 11, God, that faith would fill our hearts today. God, in all of these circumstances, in all of these people's lives, you were faithful to them. God, even when they were unfaithful, you remained faithful. And God, the testimony now written about them is that they never wavered. And so I pray today for every person in this room, God, for faith to grow in our hearts. Whatever situation we're in, whatever circumstance that's in front of us, may we exercise faith. May we remember that you exist. May we remember that searching for you, being diligent and faithful and persevering is worth it. It's profitable for us. It's producing character in us. It's preparing us. God, it's so valuable for us. Even though it's not pleasant at the time, it's valuable. Help us to loose the things of this world. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. You're our rewarder. You're the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us to put our confidence in you. Help us to remember that we're your sons and your daughters, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, in the person of your spirit. And Father, help us to remember what pleases you. And not to put confidence in our flesh, and not to be overcome with despair because of our flesh, but to put our confidence in the work of Christ and what he's done. Help us to exercise that faith today and in this week ahead, I pray. And now, Lord, I pray your blessing over this body today. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them and that you would give them peace. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And if you need to be dismissed, God bless you as you go. If you want prayer, we'd be here for you. God bless.